Hey, and welcome to the Comacast. I'm your co-host, Cody. Hey, everyone. I'm Matt, and we're glad you're joining us for another episode of the Comacast. That's right, Matt. It's where we dive into the lives of LGBT individuals whose crime cases have gone cold. And today, a little bit of a special. We're going to be talking about Daniel Conahan. Podcasting from the Lone Star State in Southern California, you're listening to the Coma Podcast with Cody and Matt. So welcome. And we are back today, Matt. It's 420. Celebration Yay. in California. <laughs> God, it's like being in middle school again. <laughs> um the the uh marijuana I business. Surprised you, I was surprised you wanted to record today and I was like Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we can get you through it. <laughs> Haven't started yet. Um no, uh, so the marijuana business is doing really big business out here in California um, during this whole like stay at home quarantine. It has <laughs> <Dead>. been <laughs> it has been uh, like labeled as an essential business so they can continue to operate um, mainly, I think, uh, doing like uh, pickups and deliveries to your house. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Big business. I'm sure today is going to be a big day for a lot of people who've yeah, stocked up. I haven't up. even hardly bothered with Twitter because, like, most of everybody's tweets are just not really intelligible. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm just like, okay, guys. Well, like, I will catch you all tomorrow. <laughs> but um, I am glad it's um it's slowly spreading throughout the country like being legal and not a big deal. And I'm starting to see more um you know governors and uh, lower level leadership, you know, expunging records and letting people go out of, you know, letting people out of jail because it is ridiculous. Like nonviolent drug offenders should not be in jail. Like it shouldn't even be a drug offense. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's interesting when I've talked to people about this before, because obviously in California and uh, Colorado, it's been legal for some time. And then even before that, medical marijuana was legal. Um, but like out here, like when I was visiting before I even moved out, you know, you would go to certain like beaches or like Venice Beach and you'd just be walking on the beach and you would that's all you would smell. Just like every so often you would just smell marijuana coming at you. Well, I think a lot of people have issues with it because they also think, oh, if it's legal, people are going to be stupid. And it's like, well, alcohol is legal, but it's still legal to drink and drive. You will still be punished like the, the rules still apply to that. Like, it's not okay to drive stoned. If you get pulled over or hit somebody, uh, you, yeah, you're going to get good. in trouble. Correct. But, like, what you do in your home or whatever, like, why why is it a problem? Like, most yeah. people are just going to be playing the Xbox and eating Cheetos. So well, what's I was going to say, like, you <laughs> know, a lot of times, um, because, because alcohol, what it is, you know, you can go out and you can drink at bars and restaurants and clubs, and then people end up driving home or whatever. They're out partying with their friends and then drive home a lot of people who uh like do edibles or smoke marijuana they um there isn't a place necessarily you go so you're always usually just doing it at your home and like you said you do it and then you just eat and play games or just get into this rabbit hole of watching youtube videos and nonsense so yeah uh happy 420 everybody uh do it responsibly and um, make sure you get an yeah, order of don't Cheetos. <laughs> Stay home and like talk to your friends about philosophical shit. <laughs> I know like you have been talking about we did a live 
um, stream the other day and you were talking about uh, your whole nursing school situation. So that's something obviously that you're looking forward to once some of this gets passed and yeah, you can actually so see I have people. to wait to see if I'm accepted. Typically, even with I have an A average that I applied to this to my clinical portion with, but I'm on the low end of competitive. David will be slightly more competitive than I am, depending on what he gets in his current class. And it, it's gonna but nobody knows what that really means now because it's not a normal I would say if this was a normal semester, I probably would not be accepted, even with an A average. It's just not, you know, it's just not possible. It just wouldn't be possible. So um, we won't really know till September. So uh, we're just kind of stuck. We're all we're all just stuck. My application's already in. I think his goes in. Oh, no, his is in now. So, yeah, they're due by June 1st. And then we have until end of August, beginning of September. But um, I need one more MMR shot and my third hep B shot is due the first week of August. And then I have to have, I have to go to a lab and get titers done where I have blood drawn and make sure I'm immune, you know, that they all took. And if I'm not, I have to sign waivers saying, Hey, okay, well, I got the shots. My body just sucks. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, we're just kind of sitting here going, all right. Uh, but I do hope to travel a little bit when all this is over. Um, I'd like to go to San, um, the list of cities I'd like to go to are, uh, San Diego, obviously, because obviously we would like to meet in person. Um, That'd be nice. And also, I'd like to see Portland. Um, and I have mutuals up there, and friends. I have friends that work there and live there as well that have moved away from San Antonio. And uh, I would like to go meet my. So I found out this past year and a half that I have other siblings, as I found out I have different family. <laughs> Thanks, twenty three and me. But um, they live in Kentucky, and. Uh, we're all from Ohio, so it's not terribly far from there. So I'd like to go there so I can actually meet some of these family members in person. Yeah. I have a feeling after they meet me once, they will <laughs> probably not want to hang out with me again. But uh, because, yeah, super conservative right wing versus gay liberal Democrat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, um, but that, that's some exciting things. So I think. You know, like looking at it, that's, I think, hopefully what people will get out of this, you know, of having to stay in and basically be limited to what they're able to do. And like literally almost, you know, being limited to be able just to go to the grocery stores, that people will be more, um, they will be open more to those relationships and those friendships that they have, the importance of those and how special they are, not taking them for granted. Uh, family members that they may not speak to a lot, but they may have been speaking a lot during this time that they won't take those for granted and just just general things in your everyday life that I think that before a lot of people took for granted but when you have them taken away and you can't do those things or you can't see those people um, you realize how important those things are and hopefully um, that will be a positive that can come out of it um, hopefully in the next few months hopefully if everybody plays along with the rules yeah I, I like how your face is literally the same as mine with this I'm like well guys crap <laughs> but i mean that's the name of the game if everyone plays along with the rules things will be better they're not going to be perfect but they'll be better but if people don't play along with the games well it's very easy to see who has never been told no before like watching all this play out 
it is very plain that who which parents told their kid they were special too many times and the kid took it literally and now they're like oh my freedoms and it's like okay are you stupid but no it's really people just can't read books um but i'm 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 excited. I'm not, well, not excited. I don't know. The information we talk about is really dark, but so the episode that's coming up later, we get to it later in the, um, in the show. Um, it's coming from the area. It's around the area I grew up in, in South Florida, which is why I, I picked it. I've been kind of poking around in that area and um, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, most people know Florida for weird, new, stressful stuff and bizarre things that just happen there. So this just sort of fits right in. But um, I think later when we get to talking about Daniel Conahan, I think um, everybody will be really fascinated. And I decided to go this route, which, of course, I didn't really tell Cody this until like, what, a day or two ago, what we were going to talk about, um, that it wasn't in one of the normal cases, because we're going to continue our discussion of the D.C. cases over a span of 20 years, just how many um, people have been murdered, mostly trans black trans women. Um uh but this we're kind of taking a little bit of a detour um because there's so many and i i didn't want everybody what i don't want to happen is people to just let it go in one ear and out the other i don't think that's it's not right that that happens but you can't help it because we don't have tons of information and i think people just start to it all starts to blur together and so i thought well you know let's talk about something different this week and break it up a little bit and we'll go back and continue into dc next week so yes so yeah we will uh talk about this really interesting case um some parts of it very like gruesome um it's just yeah. it's an interesting <laughs> overall around case um and we'll talk about uh daniel conahan coming up next okay so we are talking about daniel conahan um, today, uh, his story is an interesting story. He is not a victim in this case. He is someone who gathered victims. Um, and, and many times it's what's being described. He liked, uh, in some of the article I read that he gathered his victims and he preferred young, lean, blonde, white males. And well, that story is quite the story, Matt. Um, when I was reading through this, I was like, oh dear, this is just crazy. I mean, we had, we've had similar, uh, I, I would say somewhat similar case also happened in Florida, um, that we talked about earlier on in some of our oh, episodes. Eileen Warnos. Eileen Warnos. Yes. Um, a lot of it's set out, out, uh, in the outdoors, um, when some of these, these crimes actually happened and these victims were lured in. Um, I think is a preface to all of this, you know, in maybe getting to relate to our viewers and listeners is that, um, I know like when I was back in Texas and then even out here and stuff, you have a lot of young gay males who, um, love to be photographed. And I know that I had a handful of friends who, would be like showing off their pictures on online Facebook and social media and stuff that these older men took of them. And I always found it like a little bit creepy and a little bit weird because it was like really, really older men. And not that, you know, 
they can't take photos and be a great photographer, but that's literally all they photographed. And it was young man, basically with no clothes on. And so, you know, it it got me thinking because in this case, there was, you know, some thoughts and things that he lured some people in with, you know, the preface of that. I'm going to take some photos for you and they're going to be like really good. And, you know, some a little bit, uh, I guess, risque type photos. And so I got me thinking, I have a lot of friends who did do that when they were like in college and didn't think anything of it. You know, it was like, oh, I'm going to go out. And all these photos usually take place away from the city, you know, like in some field or whatnot. And it's like, yeah, they weren't thinking back then. And Uh, I was definitely propositioned. I think it was like 21 or 22. (laughs) And, um, about the same thing as somebody I talked to for a while and, uh, I, he asked to take photos. I was like, uh, yeah, in public, (laughs) you know, like around people. (laughs) And if you have a problem with that, then obviously no. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Can my roommate go? I wasn't going anyway, but I wanted to see what he would say because I was like, yeah, can my roommate come? I would just, you know, feel better. And he Uh goes, "Mm, yeah, I don't know. And then he like kind of canceled. I said, just out of curiosity, if you don't think I'm the right subject, what did I say? He goes, the fact that you have to ask tells me that you, you know, you're just not right. I'm like, okay, translation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're creepy. Like, that's wrong. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, that definitely got me thinking like this could happen to anybody. Uh, these victims that we're going to be talking about with, with uh, Daniel Conahan is that it could have been my friends or your friends who had gotten caught up in this, not thinking anything was going to go bad, literally thinking, oh, I'm going to go get some photos taken or I'm going to go get whatever done, you know, and then obviously the story unfolded and I'll let you kind of take it from there because, uh, yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy story. So Daniel's story starts. He was born in 1954 in Charlotte, North Carolina. His family then relocated to Punta Gorda, Florida, which is not too far from where I grew up in Fort Myers. Um, Charlotte County and Lee County, where, which is where Fort Myers is, are nearby. So these ultimately come to be known as the Hog Trail Murders. And he was linked to the deaths of like over a dozen uh, gay men. So when he was younger, uh, I believe around high school age, he uh, either came out or discussed it with his family and they were not happy. So you got to remember this would have been, so he's born in 54. So this would have been in the mid seventies or so that he would have been coming out or telling them that he was gay or something was going on. And they sent him to a psychiatrist. So, you know, that's pretty normal. So after high school, he joined the Navy. Then he was court He Well, he would have been court-martialed, but they ended up discharging discharging him for, well, the, tar- the terms were homosexual solicitation, so basically approaching gay uh, other guys. So either they were not comfortable with it or weren't comfortable expressing it, whether they were gay or not, or they even if they were gay, the word no still applies. Yeah. Um. And he ended up being discharged after a massive disturbance. So uh, apparently his quote unquote uh, homosexual behavior triggered a huge fight. So he moved to Chicago and then he back to Punta Gorda. So then he became a licensed practical nurse or an LPN and went to work at Charlotte Regional Medical Center. And um, and then in 94, a mutilated corpse of a man was discovered. And he had been outside for about a month and had rope burns on the skin and the genitalia had been removed and tossed. 
And this man was never identified. And I should note that there are um, five unidentified victims that you can search online or from facial reconstruction. Nothing's ever been this just these five. They have the the general look of them, but nothing has ever been identified about them. So throughout this time, through 94, 95, 96, um, in January of 96, a family dog brought home a male human skull. And eventually it had been determined when the rest of the skeleton was found, the genitalia had also been cut out. And then in 1999, that person was identified as uh, John William Malaragno. And then in Charlotte, in April of 96, um, another skull was found. So they eventually found the rest of that man, plus the remains of a second skeleton or second man in, um, in the woods at the time. So now we're up to three We'd be up to three at this point that have been connected. Yeah. Um, the first one, the second one had only been there. He'd been murdered and sexually assaulted the day before. And he was identified as Richard Allen Montgomery. The, um, the first one where they found the skull and then the rest of his body, he was eventually identified as Kenneth Lee Smith. And then that's when around this time, they realized that they might be dealing with a serial killer and, the media dubbed it the hog trail killings. So you see where the media kind of starts to get wind of this and it's starting to become a thing. So this is all in the mid nineties. We are still in April, May of 96. So witnesses eventually started coming forward, including one person um, that had gotten away from him. The man had been tied to a tree uh, and nearly strangled, but he ended up surviving with uh, permanent rope burns and scarring to his skin years later when this was still coming out. And uh, they had this had ha that had happened in 94 when the witness finally came forward. So you got to think two years after this happened to this man, he finally came forward. And in the middle of that, at least three men at this point were killed. Yeah. And that, and that um, was, you know, talking about the being tied to the tree bound and stuff that was kind of in one of the things I was talking about, uh, talking about when we were talking about the the young man being lured in is that he like set up this, like, like it was going to be photo sessions and, you know, you were going to be tied up or this and that. And so in some instances, that's why some people believe, you know, these victims willingly to a point allowed certain things to happen, not knowing that he would take it further. They had no idea they were in trouble until it was way too late or there. If they did, there was nothing they could do about it because unfortunately we don't know. So he was eventually arrested um, because uh, eventually they subpoenaed his credit cards and obtained a search warrant. So when they searched it, they look, they linked him to a, another man, Stanley burden. He was the one that had been propositioned tied and nearly strangled. They found evidence linking him to that gentleman as well as one of the previous murder victims. So at that point, he was arrested and brought to Lee County. He was charged for the murder of Richard Montgomery, and they dropped the attempted murder charges of Stanley Bird and the survivor. And then while awaiting trial, another skeleton was found out, was found in 1997, would have been May of 97. And about 10 months after that, DNA testing revealed it as his name was William Charles Patton. Patton had disappeared in 1993. So he had been dead for six years and his skeleton had just been found. So 
they believe that you know this is now four or five that we've collected that that's just the ones they know who they are plus the one survivor yeah. so i don't know how many people that he shook that he photo shot photoed uh or took photos of and nothing happened and how many he took photos of that he killed and how many that they either he left them alive or they survived and never said anything because they were so traumatized because like the one gentleman stanley burden it took him two years to come forward because he was likely so traumatized not to mention when you come forward with something like that especially in the media there is no escaping that media storm you know no, not, i mean yeah not at all so and especially at this time point in time period of time it would right. be and more there's sensationalized also, um there's more about burden because that was part of the trial so burden was an imprisoned pedophile by this point and was serving a 10 to 25 year sentence in ohio so it wasn't you know we are not dealing with somebody i mean i'm not saying it, it, the two wrongs don't make it right here like there's a lot going on to unpack but the attorneys for conahan rebutted that burden's testimony was pretty much useless because of you know his credibility and lack of credibility and that he was currently imprisoned as a pedophile for for that 10 to 25 year sentence so conahan did waive his right to a jury trial which i can imagine probably spared the media storm being bigger so you know i actually lived in fort myers at this time and this would have been it's not a big town especially in the late 90s and uh it was i don't remember it being huge on the news either so they ultimately found him guilty of uh they found conan guilty of first degree premeditated murder and kidnapping and then they moved the penalty phase of his trial to collier county and then it was recommended a sentence of death and the judge who was judge blackwell um agreed on december 10th and this would have been 1999. so in the meantime more bodies were discovered in charlotte county uh two, one in 2000 two in 2001 and one in 2002. on march 23rd 2007 eight skulls and skeletal remains were found in a wooded area in fort myers which is the largest discovery in florida history um they do suspect that there's a possible connection to a local funeral home however that eventually turned to stanley burden i'm sorry to conahan and because this witness stanley burden the survivor he had been attacked within a mile of the site where the eight skeletons were found um two of them two of those men were later identified as people who had disappeared in 1995. so the other ones uh so there would have been so they found eight there's five that they have reconstructions of two were identified and one it doesn't really say i couldn't really find a lot of information on it yeah. because you got to think these could have been homeless people these could have been so there may not have been a lot of records of them this could have been somebody who was uh you know if they were out they might have been rejected by their family um <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was reading some about. That uh, it appeared that many of these men may be transient, and I think that kind of goes into what you were saying, in that they may have been uh, outcasts from their families, um, and then these opportunities that were given to them. You know, obviously, someone come in and say, "Hey, we want to take your photo. You look beautiful, et cetera, et cetera," and then offering them money. And like in the one op chance, he offered. The person like $150, I think, to take the nude photos. Um, so, yeah, I, in any of those cases, it was potential people that could be lured in uh, for quick cash and just uh, 
Right. And he's also an we got to remember, this is an educated man. He graduated at the top of his class for his LPN. Um, so he's used to talking to people and he's he knows how to communicate. So he probably know how to knew would know how to say the right things to keep someone calm, you know, as long as he mm -hmm. needed them to and maintain control of the situation. You know, nobody would. I mean, that's who's going to think that this person, nobody goes into something thinking they're going to be killed. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much where we are right now. Um, he was so officially he was apprehended on July 3rd of 1996, and he's currently incarcerated, uh, awaiting the death penalty, which, as we all know, can take an extremely long time. So that's that's where we are. And I thought everybody would find this really fascinating because Fort Myers is a fairly quiet town. Um, Lee County is not, you know, it's right on it is on the river, uh, the Clusagi River, but not really a lot going on down there. It's one of the bigger towns in the area, but it, you know, it's uh, about an hour and a half, two hours south of Tampa. So, you know, in Florida, Tampa, Miami, Orlando, Jacksonville, these major cities kind of overshadow all the smaller towns. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, I thought everybody would find that interesting. Cody, what did you think? Yeah, I, I think the whole case was interesting. And I think, you know, that's kind of why I led off the conversation with like how I feel like some of my friends, just by knowing them, I could relate to this case in some ways. And that, you know, when you're young, and even when you're not young, necessarily, and someone's offering you the opportunity to have photos taken, um, a lot of people will jump at that, especially now, you know, I see like on social media, all these people posting photos from these photographers and sometimes in more risque poses or outfits and stuff. So in this, you know, it just had me thinking this could be someone I know that could have been lured in by the opportunity to have photos taken. Cause everyone would love photos taken by someone, especially if they may be good photos. Um, and also if they're offering to pay cash, even if it's for their own portfolio, because we have all been starving college students and an easy couple hundred dollars because I, you know, when you're in college and every, you know, they're just like, Hey, I'll give you a couple hundred yeah, dollars to just take photos. Exactly. And you're like, Oh, thank God. You know, like I don't have to, you're not trying to get me to do anything weird. I can stand <laughs> there and just ignore the world for a minute. Yeah, you know, it just then, sounds easy, but you know what? Get your friends to take your photos. Yeah. You know what? I, I think <laughs> in this case too, you know, it seems that he may have, he may have led, uh, these individuals in by the fact that he was going to be taking photos and more risque photos, like bondage type photos. And so that also, if you know, they had no one that they knew or anyone friends to take photos, obviously taking photos at that point in time, 96, 94 going back is a totally different thing than everyone having a camera and taking their own photos. You know, a lot of people just didn't even have cameras to take their own photos, you know, so this opportunity, but like I did, you know, was reading, um, where Conahan did admit, um, ultimately that he was gay and that he did have a fascination, uh, with bondage. Um, hence some of this, I think, tying people up and tying people to trees, et cetera. Uh, but he never did admit uh, guilt on, on the string of murders, uh, despite the evidence that um, was put forward uh, right. in his case. And now the most we can hope for is um, now, you know, he's off the streets, is that eventually maybe DNA testing can reveal who these other people were because these 
men belong to something, you know, they were somebody's family members, you know, but it can be difficult because if your family doesn't know where you are or if they had rejected you, they just might think, Oh, they don't want anything to do with me either. I, especially if, you know, they had come out, Mm -hmm. they could have been drifters. So it's tough because their family could be looking for them if they're from say North Dakota and have no idea that their loved one wandered their way down to Florida and met their end. Why would they be looking in Florida? Yeah, and that happens a lot, obviously, with uh, especially in the gay community of people being kicked out of their homes or maybe leaving leaving their homes because they feel like their family won't accept them. Uh, and they do travel to these places. And a lot of times they'll travel to warmer places, you know, where they're not having to deal with uh, extreme temperatures and stuff. But Right, and especially coming out, a lot of times people, when you come out, a lot of times they don't want to remain in their own town. They want to go somewhere and build their life with who they are, not trying to get everybody to see who they're trying to be, you know? And when you go to a new place and you're out and you're feeling comfortable with yourself, people meet you as that person rather than, Oh, you're gay now, you know, gosh, you know? And so it's how people wind up in different places or at least one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, And then uh, we'll post on the website, um, those sketches, like you were talking about where they have sketched out what they believe that the person would look like. I'm kind of going back to one of our way early episodes we did um, about the DNA. Um, right, with Julie Doe. Julie Doe and and all that, that they have going on over there and doing DNA testing and then ultimately some of the sketching um, to show what they will look like potentially currently um, and what they did look like back then. Um, so I think that's a whole good thing. So we'll post that up on um, our website. Uh, thecomacast.com um yeah this is an interesting interesting case and um hopefully everyone else found it interesting um i was going to go ahead and end it today with something i think that we might start doing um and end it on a positive note um and that one positive thing that's happened for me this week and then if you want to share something that positive has happened for you um, in the, the past week, but I think one of the positive things for me has been, um, with staying at home and having to kind of do stuff in inside is I've done a lot more cooking. And so I think one of the positive things for me this week is I've done, I got to do so much cooking and I've made like apple pies, homemade ice cream, homemade donuts, Justin made the donuts, but I made the icing, but it's, it's been fun to kind of get back to doing that kind of stuff that I enjoyed doing. So that would be my positive um, note of the, of the week. I would say, well, that's funny. Cause when you said think of something positive, I was like, Oh, well, you know, we've been cooking a lot more at home anyway. We do a lot anyway, but even more so since this all started, um, we made uh, cupcakes the other night, but I sent you a picture of those. Yeah, I did see those. So, mm, they were so those good. are gone. Those lasted two and a half days. <laughs> we have no more donuts. Uh, didn't you just make them like yesterday yeah they were made yesterday and then the apple pie it's almost gone and then the ice cream is almost gone but it's not like i made huge batches of these things but yeah it's almost all gone but i am now an ice cream maker basically wow and um so i'll make you ice cream when you come visit me yay hopefully soon hopefully soon yes <laughs> that would be nice also i i want to get back to texas but yeah so that's our positive note of the day uh let us know something that's been positive happening um in your life 
this week. As always, we do encourage you to listen to older episodes of the Comacast and learn the stories of some of those forgotten cases that we've talked about. Also, you can find out more about them on our website, as I said, thecomacast.com. We encourage you to head over there as there's lots of other content. You can also connect with us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Comacast. We love to interact and hear from all of our listeners. Yes, and thank you, listeners, and thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, that does help more people find it. And be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can get to the next episode. So until next time, thank you for listening. See you next time.